Welcome to An Apple a Day, a podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy and healthy life. Not as disabled people, but as people with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to another episode of An Apple a Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. How you feeling today, my friends? You feeling good? You feeling strong? You feeling better than you did yesterday? Excellent. You can't ask for better than that. We have got a good one for you today. Today we have a friend who's revisiting us. His name is Spencer Bishens. Now, you're probably saying, Jimmy, I know that name. Of course you know that name. Spencer wrote the book, Social Security Disability Revealed. Why is it so hard to access benefits and what can you do about it? Now, that book is an excellent book. I read it. I recommended everybody read it. The book is an easy read. It gives you some big $10 lawyer words in it, but it explains everything. Now, Spencer has some big news. His book has been released on audiobook, which makes it even easier. You can listen to it in the car. You can listen to it on the beach. You can listen to it on the back patio. You can listen to it anywhere. He's also giving away two free copies of this audio book today. And we don't just discuss Social Security laws and whatnot. This conversation even discusses what's in the news a lot lately. Uh, with these people that are going through transgender and all this other stuff. Can they collect benefits because of this? Can they collect disability benefits? Is it considered a disability if you're going through gender identity crisis? You're going to be interested in this conversation here today. So stick around, sit back, relax, and listen to my conversation with Spencer Bishens. And as I promised you, I have with us today Spencer Bishens, and he is the author of Social Security Disability Revealed, and he has some special news. Now, if you've heard this name before, and you're saying, where did I hear this name? Well, you've probably heard it in the news, you probably read it in the news, but you definitely heard it here once before, if not twice. Because Spencer's been on the podcast before, but he's got some big news. Last time he was here, he told us about the book that he had written. And now he's got some big news about that same book. So, let's say hello. How you, how you doing today, Spencer? I'm great. How are you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing fantastic. So... Let's hear the big news first. Let's hear the big news about your book, Social Security Disability Revealed. What's the big yeah. news? 
why it's so hard to access benefits and what you can do about it. And now you can not only read it in paperback, you can not only read it on an electronic device, the ebook, but if you don't like to read, if you don't have the time to read, if you don't have the attention span to read, if you just commute a lot, we now have an audiobook. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, it, it, it took quite a while. Audiobooks, I, I, I have a much better appreciation now for anyone who ever produces an audiobook. <laughs> um, but it's narrated by me personally. Um, and I did that because I wanted people to hear my voice to hear me describing my own experiences, to hear me, you know, describing all the nuances of the Social Security program. And I, I felt that that was important for, for people to hear, you know, my book from my perspective. So I did the narration, and, uh, yeah, it took a while, but we finally got it done. That's excellent, excellent. And I have to, I have to say, I heard, I didn't hear it all, but I heard some of it. And what you're hearing today, what you're hearing on this podcast today, is the same thing you're hearing on the audiobook. You're hearing Spencer Bishens. And he's also got a special gift, well actually two special gifts he's giving away to two special people on today's podcast. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Go ahead, explain it. Yeah, so uh, the audiobook uh, is available at a, a variety of places, Amazon, uh, Libro.fm, uh, Spotify, uh, and of course the ebook and the paperback are available really anywhere you can find books, including libraries all across the country. And all of that's available on our website, missionspublishing.com. But in order to, you know, get a jump start on uh, the Social Security education for a couple of your listeners, Jimmy, I thought we could maybe uh, take some questions and uh, maybe whoever, you know, has a couple of the best questions, we can give away a couple of audiobooks today. Excellent. Excellent. And we've been telling people that right along. So this is no big surprise. We've been telling you right along and we've had people send in questions for, for Spencer. And we've got a we've got a boatload of questions, and some of them are very strange. I have to say that, but you know, we, you, you know, you never know though, right? You never know what's a strange question, and what's a question that is just something that maybe someone else hasn't thought of before. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not saying I am not saying anyone's question is there's no such thing as a bad question. Yeah, exactly, especially when you're trying to educate yourself, right? There's no such thing as a bad question. Especially when you have to go through the Social Security system. Yeah, or any, <laughs> or any government program for that matter. Exactly, exactly. There is, there, I, I don't think there's any more difficult program to have to go through than the Social Security program. It, that is, yeah, if anyone... If anyone's been to the DMV, it's like that, but it takes like two to three years at the, the DMV. The DMV is a walk in the park. The DMV is is Disneyland compared to Social Security Disability. Oh, I don't know about anybody else, but that's how I feel. I'd rather stand in line in, in the DMV for a day than have to go through, start with Social Security Disability again. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's because, you know, you're going to be helped that day, right? You might be there for hours, but you'll at least be helped that day, and you'll get what you, and you'll get what you were looking for, right. you know, eventually. At the end of the day, you're going to come out of there either with license plates, a driver's license, or something. Oh, yeah. I tell you. But, Spencer, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about you. Tell them about your history. Sure, yeah. So I uh, graduated from law school in 2007, and I was admitted to the bar, the Florida bar specifically, in 2008. Uh, after a couple of years in the private sector, I started with Social Security in 2010. I was hired as an attorney advisor with Social Security at the Appeals Council. I'll explain what that is in a minute. But I stayed there for about four years, and then I transferred to a hearing office, and I was there about seven years. So the hearing office is the place where you, you would go to have your Social Security hearing in front of the Social Security judge. And then the staff attorneys, the attorney advisors that work there, they write the disability decisions. So I did that for seven years. And then if you want to appeal your case, you appeal it to the Appeals Council, which is within Social Security. So it's their in-house appeals department. And I was one of the attorneys that handled those appeals. Uh, and I did that for four years. So in all, I uh, spent 11 years with the Social Security Administration. I wrote almost 2,000 disability decisions for administrative law judges, and I reviewed a few thousand more when I was with the Appeals Council. So I've seen a lot of different Social Security cases, a lot of different types of cases, claimants of different ages, different gender identities, different races, all different parts of the country, um, I've seen a, a, a wide swath of the American workforce and why people have difficulty working, whether it be physical or mental health, whether it be something fairly temporary or something that appears to be permanent. And when I left the Social Security Administration in 2021, I had all this, this wealth of knowledge that I had built up, right? And I... I felt like it would be kind of a waste to just leave Social Security and not do something with that because I know that over a million people, over a million hardworking Americans find that because of some kind of medical situation, they can't work every year and they apply for Social Security disability. And yeah, there are other books on the market, but a lot of those were either super legalistic or they had some kind of title like how to win your case which nobody can, like, guarantee, right? No, I, I can't guarantee the information I give you. I, I, well, you'll definitely win your case, and no one else can either. So I wanted to present a book that said, look, here's some plain language explanations about what the program is, how the program works. Here's a bunch of examples. Here's answers to questions you didn't even know you had. Uh, so before you even ask them, I'll just give you the answers and the process all the way from how to talk to your doctors to how to apply all the way through the hearing and into the appeals process. I want you to know how the system works, what to expect going into it, where the barriers are going to be in your way, because Social Security, they put a lot of barriers between you and the benefits that you should be entitled to, which is why they call them entitlements, right? But I can't promise you you're going to win. And so I wanted to write that kind of book, and that's why I called it Social Security Disability Revealed, because I want to reveal the system to you, why it's hard to access benefits, and what you can do about it. Meaning, 
things you can do, strategies you can try to give yourself the best possible chance at success. You know, I, I've read a ton. When I tell you a ton of books on Social Security, as a Social Security disability recipient myself, and I have to say, and I'm saying this honestly, I'm not getting paid. Spence is not paying to be on the podcast. We don't do that. Your book is probably one of, if not, the best I've read. And I mean that wholeheartedly. Because it doesn't tell you, do this and you're going to win. It doesn't say, this is what you have to do. Your book is more like a guide through the system. It doesn't tell you you have to do this or you have to do that or do this first and do this next. It's just a guide. And it it's very easy to follow. It, you can skip two parts of your book to, to get to where you have to be. And it's just an, it's just an easy read. And I'm sure, and now it's going to be an easy listen. And it, there's a lot of aha points in your book and especially being that I've already gone through the system I look I read your book and I go ah oh, this makes sense now and it's going to it may it may it takes a lot of the fear out of things for people that are just going through the process just starting the process so I want to thank you for that yeah I appreciate the kind words I think that with anything in life education helps to kind of take the edge off, right? You know, if you need to have a cavity filled, for example, a lot of people hate the dentist. They don't like needles. They might think about that situation and just start. But, you know, if you research it and you find out here's how big the needle is and here's how long it's injected for and here's what people describe the feeling as once you've had the Novocaine, you know, just learning about the process you might get to the dentist's office and think, now I know what's going to happen. Is it going to be pleasant? No. But at least I know what's going to happen. And it's the same thing, you know, if you're going to the mechanic with your car, if you don't know anything about cars and they, you know, they hand you an estimate that's 3000 bucks, you think you're being ripped off. But if you learn about, you know, here's what's wrong and here's how much these parts typically cost, and here's how, how much the labor is and how many hours it's going to take. Maybe you feel a little bit better and you think like, yeah, actually, not only is that a fair price, but I could get an estimate somewhere else and it's four grand. So actually, this place is, is totally legitimate. Correct. And so I think it, it's just like anything else in life where just giving yourself a little bit of education. If you're not an expert, you know everyone's an expert in something, right? If you're a plumber, you're an expert in plumbing, you might know nothing about dentistry or car motors or Social Security. I'm a lawyer and I work for Social Security. This is my area of expertise. So just like I really appreciate it when the dentist or the mechanic can, you know, use simple, plain language and explain to me a procedure and a process, I'm just trying to do that for your listeners and really for all, all, of, all of the United States, all taxpayers, all potential Social Security claimants, I want you to know what I know, but to be able to hear it and understand it in a way that is easily digestible, where, like you said, you may, it, it makes you think, yeah, I might not win. That's not a guarantee, and no one can guarantee that. And I appreciate that he's not guaranteeing anything 
he's just explaining the process to me so I know what's going to happen before I get there. And he's telling me what strategies I can use to give myself a better chance of success than if I didn't employ those strategies. Exactly. And the thing is, you're doing it in layman's terms. You're not, you're not talking in legalese. You're not uh, trying to impress anybody with $10 words. You're doing it in, in plain English, for lack of a better term. You're, you're, not, uh, you're not reading from the Harvard Book of Law. Yeah, and where there are some $10 words, because there are some throughout the there book. There are some, but it's not but, the but, entire but only where it's necessary. Yeah, and only where it's necessary, right? Well, I say, like, here's a term you need to know, like residual functional capacity. But I try to, the first thing I try to do when I introduce a term like that is explain it in exactly. plain language, right? Exactly, you clarify so, it. Yeah, because these are terms you're going to hear either from your disability lawyer or from the agency itself or from the judge. And I want you to know what these terms mean. It's important that you know the relevant $10 words and what they mean. And that's why I want to introduce them to you in a user-friendly way that says, look, here's this term. It sounds, you know, it's many, many syllables and it probably makes no sense to you. Here's what it actually means in, in human English. And then, you know, maybe you feel a little bit better about knowing, okay, now I know what that term means. Now moving forward, if someone says that to me, I don't have to be scared or feel like I don't know what's going on because now I know what that term means. Exactly. You're going into it with a little bit of knowledge and you know ahead of time. So when it's thrown at you, you have it already. You don't have to go home and look it up. (laughs) You already have it. That's right. So, like I said, it's writ- the book is written in a way that you're going to walk away from it going, aha, <laughs> that's, that's the only way I can explain it. And now you're going to be able to hear it and say, aha, I understand. And your voice will be in your head. Your voice will be in their head when it comes down to it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, really a, it's really a good thing. And like I said... I can't say enough about the book. When it comes to a book on Social Security, this is one of the best, if not the best. And like I said... Yeah, thank thank you. I appreciate that, Jimmy. And having it on on audiobook, this is probably one, one, if not only, the only one I would say would be worth listening to on audiobook. Because I've read other ones that... I've gotten through half of the first chapter and I'm, my eyes are tired and <laughs> I'm ready to put it down. But yours, I, I was able to read your book in, I think, a couple of days I read your book. And it was, yeah, and for, any, for anyone who's a potential claimant or a family member of a claimant or a caregiver or a doctor um, and you see patients who are applying for Social Security, it's really important to know and understand this information. It's important for you to be able to help your loved one or yourself if you're a potential claimant, you got to know the system. You got to know what's coming. You need to understand how this government program works. If you think, well, I pay my taxes and if I can't work, they'll just hand me benefits. That is not at all. That is not at all how it works. And, and, and the, the return on, you know, this investment, the, the paperbacks, 20 bucks, 
the audiobook and the ebook are less than that. Um, the return on investment, if this helps you get tens of thousands of dollars in benefits, uh, it's a no brainer, right? Yeah. So this, <laughs> you, you'll spend more, you'll spend more on coffee than you will on this book. Yeah, I wanted it to be accessible to people. Um, but yeah, obviously the amount of information that's in here, again, whatever step you are in the process, if you were just got injured yesterday and you're lying in a hospital bed, someone can hand you this book. So you, you have some idea how the program works. If you applied for benefits five years ago and got approved or denied or you're in an appeal, this will explain to you what's going to happen or what's been happening or what's currently happening, right? It all depends on where you are in the process. But whatever stage you're at, there is information in this book to explain to you how the process works, where the barriers are, where the pitfalls are, um, and also it, to explain to you if you have been denied, if you think you might be denied, why that's the case. Why is Social Security denying claims when those people have good medical evidence and truly believe that they're disabled and can't work? Well, this, this is also a good book for a spouse or a parent or a, a spouse of someone who is disabled or just became disabled or a parent of someone who became disabled. This is a good book for them to read, to be able to give support to that person. I mean, it, this is an invaluable book. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't say that enough. It's it, it's unbelievable. Like I said, and I know I'm gushing now, and not because Spencer's on the on the podcast with us, but this book has has so much value, not only to the person, the the victim themselves. But to those around them, to understand what their what their loved one is going through, and to be able to help them or give them moral support as they're going through it, because when you're going through this this program, believe me, two heads are better than one. And yeah, and and not even just moral support, right? Like right. if you read this book and you understand what kind of medical evidence is necessary. You could sit down, brainstorm with that person, and say, look, this is what you're going to need to prove. Let me help you. I'll exactly. go to your doctor. I'll go talk to your doctor. I'll go talk to the nurses. Maybe I can find you a specialist that could get you the right tests that you need in order to prove the things that you have to prove. Exactly. I have a whole section in the book about what kind of medical evidence do I need for my particular type of impairment. And, when and you, so, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, when you when you're... When you're the one who is, who's been hurt, when you're the one who's been injured, it's so hard to focus on the things that you need. It's, it's always better to have someone else going through it with you. And that's why I say a spouse, a parent, a brother, a sister, a friend, someone that can, that can go on doctor's appointments with you. And for them to read this book or listen to this book so they know what you're going through, what you need. It's your partner. Have a partner go through, going through it with you, and them listening to this book or reading this book, them ha they having the issue, the the same information. Two heads are better than one. It and really is best if you if it's a team effort, right? 
not only the, the person who may be needing the benefits, but like you said, a friend, a family member, a support person, and, and, and not just the person's social security lawyer or representative, right? Exactly. right? Someone else in your household or in your bubble, a friend, a family member, someone who, you know, because even if you have a social security disability lawyer representative, and of course in the book, I highly recommend that you have one and I explain how to find one and how they get paid and all that. But social security representatives, it's a volume business. They have a lot of clients. So they're going to help you with the legal aspects of your case, but they may not necessarily be able to help you you know, at every moment of every day with figuring out how to talk to that doctor and get that evidence or thinking about, you know, I need to see a different kind of doctor, maybe on the other side of the country if it's a, a highly specialized specialist. Um, so, yeah, ha- having someone else beyond just your representative help you. In other words, putting together a team uh, around you who – Everyone has their, their job, right? A lot of times for the, for the patient, the job is just like, get better. Right. Isn't exactly, it? Exactly. Exactly. And you might need, yeah, and you might need someone else to read the book and say, you know, we need to start thinking about evidence. Your job is to get better. And my job will be to start thinking about evidence. And then we'll go hire, you know, Sam to be your social security lawyer. And he can start thinking about when to file your claim and all the legal requirements and everything. And, you know, and then maybe you go to see this doctor who's a specialist and that person can help treat you. It really is a team effort, not only for getting that person, you know, healed, whatever the impairment is, whatever the medical condition is, but also a team effort put, for putting together that case to say, hey, this person can't work due to a medical condition. This person really is truly deserving of disability benefits. My my best advocate is my wife. My my wife, she knows more than I do about my about my problems. <laughs> so yeah, and that's pretty common. But you know what? Maybe that isn't the case for everyone, right? Because maybe the spouse should obviously read the book so they know what's going on. But there could be a lot of people where maybe the spouse is so uh, is either having to take on so many other responsibilities like household chores, getting the kids to school, whatever, mm-hmm. or is just so, you know, in shock and upset, especially if you're in the hospital or have some kind of really severe condition that, yeah, it may be your spouse, but maybe it's a sibling. Right. Maybe if you're an adult, um, maybe it's one of your adult children. Maybe it's a friend. It, it, maybe it's all of these people, right? Right. It could be all it, of the it's, above. It's absolutely great advice. If you are in this process, if you know anyone in this process, even if it's just, you know, someone on the softball team or someone from church or someone, you know, you volunteer with on the weekends, if you read the book, you'll understand what that person's going through. And then you may find that you're able to help them in a way that you didn't even know you could because you didn't even know they needed that kind of help or you could serve in that kind of support role. Exactly. Exactly. But Spence, again, this book, this book is not just for the patient or the victim. It's for those around them. It's for those who love them. It's for those who care for them. 
it's a, it, 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 I can't say enough about the book. But, Spencer, I do have questions for you. Let's do it. I, I have questions for you, and I want to I get, get them. I want to get to them. And, and uh, just to clarify before we start, two people who submitted questions are going to be uh, gifted a, a free audio book today. Is that right? That's right. That's right. All right. We're going to pick them out. This first question comes from Michael. He wants to know, how do I find a good attorney to help me apply for Social Security disability? Yeah, so the Social Security process is obviously very complicated, as any legal process is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And while my book is a great resource, we've been talking about that for a while now, um, and while I am an attorney and I did work for Social Security, it's important for everyone to remember, I'm not your attorney. So while I can give you an introduction into the process and say, here's how things work on the inside and here's what Social Security employees are doing along the way, everyone really does need their own personalized assessment of their own circumstances, their own work history, their medical impairments. You really do need someone on your side who knows the process and who is is an expert on the process And so I do highly recommend in my book that everyone have a Social Security representative. Now, there are two kinds of representatives, attorneys and non-attorneys. And actually, I think some of the non-attorney representatives are really good, and I've seen some attorney representatives that are not great for one reason or another. So if you need a representative and they say, I'm not an attorney, That shouldn't be a barrier because Social Security does have a way to certify people who are not attorneys but who have had extensive training in the Social Security regulations to take these kinds of cases. So first thing right there, the representative does not need to be an attorney. They will be working with an attorney. If if you go to a law firm, you may find that your representative is a non-attorney, but there will be, you know, that will be a law firm and there will be an, an attorney on staff of that person has any questions. So having said that, there are two really, I think there are two different kinds of representatives, whether they be an attorney or non-attorney. Local representatives and national representatives. The national representatives are the people you see advertising on daytime TV during like soap operas or game shows. It's an 800 number. These offices could be anywhere around the country and they say, you know, wherever you are, we can take your case. I don't recommend a national representative. I I recommend people find a local representative. There are 200-something hearing offices around the country. Every major mid-sized city in the United States has a Social Security hearing office. And around every hearing office, you know how kind of like where there's a local jail, you always find a bunch of bail bondsmen (laughs) right around the jail? It's kind of the same thing because before March of 2020, the Social Security representatives have to go into the hearing office to do in-person hearings, right? So wherever there's a hearing office, you find a bunch of Social Security attorneys clustered around the hearing office. And that's who I recommend you hire. Someone local in your local community who knows the office, the Social Security office, who knows the staff at that Social Security office. A lot of times they might be on a first-name basis, right? Like, oh yeah, Jason over at the Social Security office whenever I have new evidence, I give it to Jason and he puts it in the computer system. 
Um, and that's important. And also they know the judges at the social, your local social security hearing office. And that's likely where your case is going to go, right? If you live in Omaha, Nebraska, your case is probably going to the Omaha social security office. If you live somewhere in Western Pennsylvania, your case is probably going to the Pittsburgh hearing office, right? So that's why it's important to hire a local representative. And I can't tell you who to hire. I think you sit down with two or three, same way you pick a mechanic or a dentist or any other specialist. Sit down and, and chat with a few different people and see who you vibe with, who seems like they're really truly listening to you, who seems like they may have a, you know, a good strategy based on your individual circumstances. I don't think it will be difficult. I think if you interview a couple of different people, you'll just know, right? Like, I like Bob. Bill was okay, but, you know, George, I really feel like we connected and I feel like he understands my medical conditions and I really feel like George is going to fight for me. And that's who you should hire. So you you think it's better to go, like I, like you just said, to go to a local office rather than to hire uh, Billy Bob, who's got 1-800-HIRE-ME. Yeah, 1-800-I-CAN'T-WORK, right? Right. And the reason is because when you call those 800 numbers, you're going to, you know, you're going to press option one, press option two. Right. And then someone is someone whose job is, is just to do intakes, you know, wearing a headset, sitting 2,000 miles away, it's going to be very impersonal. Tell me your impair, give me your name. Tell me your impairment. Tell me why you can't work. And you're just going to hear a lot of typing. Right. Whereas where you, you go to an individual office that's, you know, a 10 minute drive from your house or, you know, if you live in a rural area, maybe it's an hour drive from your house, right, to the nearest major or moderate sized city. And you'll sit down, usually with an actual attorney, and you'll be in the same room face to face and you can explain everything and they'll ask questions. And it's just, it's a more personalized experience. And you know that, like, this is the person who's actually going to be taking my case versus, they're just putting information into a computer and then they're going to contract that out to someone, you know, on the other side of the country who's getting paid a couple hundred bucks. I'm just not a fan of that business model quite as much. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think sitting down with someone in your local community who you, you can talk to face to face is the right way to go. And I, I also feel like, I know this wasn't part of the question, but if I could just briefly say how the attorneys get paid, because that's usually the next question, right? Like, what's this going to cost me? So the great news is, in almost every circumstance, it's not going to cost you anything out of pocket. And the reason is, Social Security rules have a very specific setup for how the attorneys get paid, how the representatives get paid. Yes, it's a profession, and of course they're doing it to get paid, right? But you don't have to sit down and pay them like $200 an hour. That consultation is going to be free, and they're not going to charge you anything to take your case and to represent you. The way they get paid is if you get a favorable decision. In other words, if you win your case, then the attorney gets a percentage of your back payment, of the money that the agency owes you. Right? So if when your case is over, if you get approved and the agency ends up owing you 20 grand of back payment from the time you applied until the time a judge actually gave you a favorable decision, the attorney gets one quarter of that. So yeah, $5,000, but you didn't pay them anything up front. You still get three quarters of that back pay 
and you still get monthly benefits going forward, and you get the benefit of a knowledgeable professional representative who knows the system, the judges, and the regulations way better than you do, and even in much more detail than I can explain to you in my book. Well, what happens in a case where you go, you apply for Social Security, you get Social you you win your case without an appeal. Right. What does the attorney get paid then if there's no back pay? Oh, so like, let's say you go to a hearing and the judge says, I'm finding you disabled, but as of today. Right. So there's no, there's no back pay. It's only pay moving forward. Right. Well, the back, the back pay is zero. So the attorney would get 25% of zero. So he doesn't get paid at all. They get paid no fee. Now, and I talk about the specific situation in my book, because what you bring up is an interesting circumstance, right? Where the, the, the client, the person claiming disability benefits, they may be happy, right? They may say, look, I got my benefits moving forward. That's all I really care about. But maybe the attorney's not so happy because they're getting no fee, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe they may suggest to you that you should consider appealing the case. This is a situation that it's not that uncommon. And so I specifically introduced this situation in the book to my readers so they can understand um, how the situation occurs and why it's really important to know whether the advice to appeal is in your best interest or the attorney's best interest because they have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's in your best interest. But of course, in that situation where their interest in your interest part ways, you know, it, you may have a sticky situation there, but it is important to understand and to remember that the lawyers, the lawyer can never make a decision unless the client has authorized them to do it. It's unethical. It's illegal. You can be disbarred for doing something like that. So a lawyer can say, you know, should we consider appealing? And then all you have to do is say, nope, I've got my benefits. I'm happy. I'm done. Very and that's good. it. They're not, they're not going to appeal if you don't authorize them to do it. They could get disbarred. They probably would be disbarred. Very good. Good advice. All right. Now that answers two other questions that you've answered two other questions that I had here. One from Peter. Wanted to know what the retainer is for a Social Security disability lawyer. There is none. There is none. There is none. And do I really need a lawyer to apply for Social Security, or should I try by myself? And if so, I yeah, so here's my answers to that. Um, you should never try by yourself. That's my advice. This alone. Look, I don't fill my own cavities. If I break a bone, I'm not putting the cast on my own leg. Uh, if my car engine completely breaks down, uh, I'm not rebuilding it. Like I said earlier, you know, we're all experts on certain things. If you're not a social security disability expert, you shouldn't be doing this on your own. You should go hire someone who is, right? So no, I don't ever recommend anyone do this on, the, on their own, even after reading my book. You should hire an expert. There's no retainer to do it. I explain in the book how you can find a representative how they get paid. I go through all that in the book. And the other thing I do throughout the book is explain all of the reasons why it would be a terrible idea to try and do this on your own. 
And you know this, Jimmy, because you've read it. How many times throughout the book do I explain a rule and I say something like, and here's yet another reason why exactly. you need an expert who knows what this rule is because it's really complicated. I'm only sort of, you know, explaining the basics to you here, but this isn't everything. There's a lot more to this rule. And this is, again, why you need someone analyzing your individual situation to give you specific individualized advice so that you can have the best representation possible to give yourself the best possible chance of success. Well, now you just answered this, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna ask you this anyway. This person, Paul, writes, "I've got every report from my doctor. I've got the workers' comp doctors' reports, the ER doctors' reports after my accident, copies of my X-rays." That should be enough for Social Security not to be deny my, my claim, right? So I would say when I worked at Social Security, the average medical record that I saw was probably seven to 800 pages of medical evidence. That's the average. I saw plenty of cases with 1,000, 2,000 pages of medical evidence, and those cases were denials. <laughs> So if you've got an ER report that's 10 pages, an x-ray that's another five pages, some physical therapy records that are maybe 50 pages, is that enough? Here's the thing. It might be. It all depends on, you know, is this, is this enough evidence to show that you have been unable to do any work full-time in the national economy for at least 12 continuous months? It's possible that that's the case. But I've seen plenty of people who come to Social Security with a thousand pages of medical evidence from the emergency room, the pain management doctor, the surgeon, the OT specialist, the PT specialist. Then they've also got mental health. So they've got psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, um, you know, and, and for many years, and, and those were denials. So that should be enough, right? It might be, but the thing is, you really can never have too much evidence. You, you have to look at what is the definition of disability, um, and the definition is for 12 continuous months. So if you've got an ER report and some x-rays and they show something like a broken bone, broken bones typically heal in a couple months. Right. Well, I had surgery. Well, if the, you know, that's the kind of surgery where the expected recovery time is eight or nine months, you're still, you still don't have the evidence there to show a full year that it's likely that you wouldn't be able to do full-time work for a full year, right? Here's the other thing. It's any full-time work in the national economy. Oh, but I used to be a construction worker, and clearly I can't go back to construction with my leg injury. Yeah, but could you be a cashier? Could you do another sit-down job, like, you know, work in an office-type setting? If you can... Social Security regulations say you're probably going to be found not disabled. So that's why it's really important to know the law first. What is the law? What do I have to prove? Then you can start asking questions like, do I have enough evidence to prove that? Do I need more evidence? What kind of evidence do I need? Like you and I have been saying, it's a super complicated process, and definitely it's the case that at no point should anyone think like, oh, this is probably enough, right? It might be, but it very well might not be. All right. Uh, here's another one. Now, this is from Anna. 
is there a reason you get denied so many times for SSD and then they finally approve you? Is it a matter of the squeaky wheel gets the grease or is it just a numbers game? There's a lot of different reasons. Um, it could be the squeaky wheel gets the, well, let's back up a, a minute for, for your listeners who aren't familiar with how the process works. So the way it works is you apply for disability and then if you get denied, you do an appeal. And then if you get denied again, the third level is with someone called an administrative law judge. And that's, they used to be in-person hearings. I think a lot of them now are still done by phone or by Microsoft Teams. And then if you get denied a third time, you can appeal again and go to the Appeals Council. You're still within Social Security Administration, by the way, for that fourth time. Let's say you get denied a fourth time, then you, can, you maybe need to go and sue the agency in federal court for your fifth appeal. But at any point along the way, the agency could decide, yeah, actually, your denial is wrong. We're going to you know, pull a do-over and we're going to decide it again, and you get a new hearing, and then it gets denied again. And so you could, you know, have not uncommon to have five, six, seven denials. I know someone who's currently on their seventh or eighth denial. I've lost count. Um, but the case got sent back by a federal court, so Social Security's got to do it again because they didn't do it right the first time or the seventh time. Wow. So at some point along the way, it's possible that, you know, this person could, could be approved. It could be because they got a different judge who just sees the world differently, right? It could be because maybe some new evidence truly did come in along the way. So maybe the prior decision wasn't actually wholly incorrect, but hey, you've brought us some new evidence since that decision, and based on this new evidence, we think you now meet the definition of disability. That happens all the time. Uh, it could be to some extent the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know, your case has been to federal court, it's come back. It went back to federal court, it came back. Maybe at some point the Social Security Administration says, you know, it seems like these federal courts, they really want us to pay this case. So we'll just pay it and move on. Um, it could, you know, it could just be that you had a judge that before that paid 15% of their cases and now you have a judge that pays 75% of their cases. And so maybe just getting a new judge or having your case sent to a different hearing office in a different part of the country, that could make the difference. There's really no way to know. And the thing is, there's also really no way to control for any of this, right? You don't get to decide what hearing office your case goes to or what judge hears your case or, you know, how the judge is going to view the evidence. You can always bring forth new evidence and say, hey, if you think I didn't have enough last time, I've got some new evidence now. Approve me, please. That's something you can control, right? And that's why the subtitle of the book is not just the why so hard access benefits, but what you can do about it. Bringing forth new evidence, that's under the head heading of what you can do about it, right? There are certain things I can't control, but if I'm being denied, I can try and get new evidence. I can try and see new doctors or new specialists. If I think maybe some kind of different test result would help or an updated test result, I can go do that. So there are certain things you can do to try and get that denial, get that frown turned upside down, right? 
<laughs> get, get that denial turned into a, a smiley approval. Again, like we said, there's no guarantees of anything, but the strategies that I, I present in the book are, are exactly for this reason, right? I've had a denial. What can I do to be that squeaky wheel to get the grease to try and push the agency to approve me? Because at that point, I could give up and walk away, or I could continue fighting for the benefits that I think I deserve. All right. Makes sense. All right. Here, now, here's one. Here's one that, that might throw you, maybe. I don't know. If you held the job, and this, this comes from Josh, if you've held the job on the books, paying your taxes, since you were 12 years old, and you were injured on a job permanently at the age of yeah. 19, right. can you apply for and receive Social Security disability benefits? So this brings up a couple of different things. Uh, so let's go through them one by one. So the first thing is, um, under the law, kids don't work. So Social Security will never presume that you're working if you're under the age of 18. But of course, in a lot of the United States, teenagers have jobs, high schoolers have jobs, right? And yeah, it's actually not unheard of in many places for someone to get a job at a restaurant or a grocery store bagging groceries at 12 or 13 or 14 years old. So if you have a job like that where you're a W-2 employee, and they're withholding taxes, they're withholding payroll taxes. You're paying the Social Security and the Medicare taxes, even though you're too young to be in either of those programs. But if you start paying the taxes when you're young, that means you know under 18, that means by the time you reach age 18, you've already paid some Social Security taxes, you may be eligible for benefits as soon as you turn 18. So that means when you're 19, if you get hurt, uh, if you have some kind of physical or mental health impairment and you can't work, you may be able to get Social Security disability benefits. Of course, you have to meet the same legal standard that everyone else does, right? But if you do meet that legal standard and you have the insurance, because this is an insurance program, that tax is actually really like an insurance premium, so if you've paid into the insurance program and you have the insurance and you meet the definition of disability, you could conceivably be approved for SSDI benefits at age 18 or age 19. How could you have that many credits at working from 12 years old to 19 and being a student? Right. You, you, yeah, it's a great question. So normally for most adults, you need 40 credits to be considered fully insured for social security disability, and you need at least 20 out of the last 40 credits, uh, out of the last 40 available credits to, uh, to be considered insured. And I explain all that in part one of the book. Like, what is the, this insurance program and how do these credits work, right? But the thing is, that's that, that, that number of 20 out of the last 40 quarters, that's after age 31. But before age 31, the agency recognizes that you haven't worked long enough to get that many credits, right? And so the standard, the threshold of what you need to be considered insured for SSDI purposes, that threshold is much, much lower when you're 18. And then it's a little higher when you're 21 and a little higher when you're 25. But to start out, I think you only need like six credits. So if you've worked 
for even a couple years before you're 18 and earn six credits, which I, it's not hard to do that. You don't have to earn that much to earn six right. credits. Then you could be insured. But the, the other part of that question is that person said, what if I have a permanent disability, right? Right. Here's the thing. There are some disabilities, some impairments that we might consider to be permanent, like a traumatic brain injury or, um, you know, if someone has a spinal cord injury. But what Social Security to, considers to be permanent may not be what you or your doctor consider to be permanent. And that's especially true if you're really young, like if you're 19 years old. Social Security might approve you for benefits and say, yeah, you've shown us you're disabled. Here's your SSDI benefits. But what they're going to do, very likely, if you're that age, is re-review your claim in a couple years. And I explain this process in the book. It's called a continuing disability review process, or a CDR. And the reason the law has this process is, of course, we don't want someone to be on disability benefits from age 19 all the way to age 65 just because they were found disabled at 19, right? They may not be disabled for 40, what is that, 46 years. So every few years, the Social Security Administration will come back and say, hey, we think maybe you're able to work now. So we'd like you to show us your medical records. We'd like you to explain to us if you uh, think you're still disabled, tell us why you think you're still disabled, and we'll look at everything, and we'll make a decision at that point. Now, I have another question, though. Now, you see around us, around us everywhere, kids are having kids. So just say this guy is or this girl is 19 years old and has a baby or two. Are they also eligible for child benefits at 18, 19 years old? So uh, are you asking if, if the, ch the child is disabled or if the adult is disabled? No, the 19-year-old the, the, the is disabled, but they also happen to have a baby or two. Yeah, so if an adult is found disabled and awarded SSDI benefits, that's from the insurance program, right? Right. And if, if that person has minor children, they'll also be given what are called auxiliary benefits. Right. And, and the idea is the SSDI benefits are there to pay for the adult, right, who is disabled and can't work. But if you have minor children, the government recognizes you've got these extra expenses and you can't work to support them. So the government will also give you these auxiliary benefits per minor child. And there's, you know, there's specific rules for how that works. Um, and, uh, again, that's a reason, uh, yet another reason, right, where you need a qualified, knowledgeable representative who can evaluate your individual specific situation and who can give you advice based on your individual circumstances. I have, I have one other question, being that I just brought that up, and it's just popped into my mind. Um, when it comes to minor children, there's a set amount, whether you have one child or seven children, right? When it comes to Social Security benefits for the, for the children, children's so benefits? It, it, it's a formula based on the adult's benefit amount. Um, I think each child gets 50% of the adult's benefit amount. 
But of course, that's to support the minor child, right? So yes, if you have more minor children, you'll get a larger amount, but that's because you're supporting more children at that point. Now, see, I was told, and I this is why I'm asking, that there's a there's one set amount. Like, just say Joe Blow has one child, and the amount is five hundred dollars for for the that the benefit amount for for children is five hundred dollars, whether you have one or you have five. Here's the thing, and this is actually just to full disclosure for your audience. This isn't actually something that I handled when I worked for Social Security because most of what I did was uh, looking at people who were applying for disability. So it was before they were awarded benefits, right? I did handle some of these types of issues um, about how much benefits you get after you're awarded those benefits, after you're found disabled. I think it's a per-child assessment, okay. but honestly, if I'm wrong about that, it wouldn't surprise me just because this isn't really something that I handled when I worked for Social Security. Oh, okay. But I, I, but I, but I believe, I think that it's uh, an amount per child versus one flat amount split up amongst all of your children. But, but again, I, I could be wrong about that. that. That absolutely could be the case. I, that, like I said, I'm, this is things that I've heard along the way. And that's why I like to ask because everyone has an opinion. Everyone has, everyone thinks they're an expert when it comes to social security. And that's why I like to ask experts, <laughs> the, the real experts. All right, Spencer, we've got one more question. And this one comes from Carlos. And this is, this well, a sign of the times, I guess. Is race, sex, sexual orientation, and so on, <laughs> taken into consideration when reviewing Social Security disability applications for approval? Like, in other words, is there a quota system in place? And this is asked by Carlos. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, right? Because we know that there's racism throughout our society, right? And we know that there's gender discrimination and people are discriminated against if they're members of the LGBT community. And so we think like, if I'm being denied, is it really because of medical evidence, especially if you've got really good evidence, right? And maybe three doctors say you can't work and you're still denied. And you're thinking, you know, I wonder if it's because of my race, gender, or another protected class, um, or like gender identity. And the thing is, that's just, I think that that's really not the case. From my experience from 11 years working with Social Security, the judges, the other staff members, the attorney advisors, the uh, everyone who works in the office, people don't really care about your race or your gender or your gender identity or any of these other protected classes, it really does come down to the medical evidence. Now, having said that, like I said, I, I've seen a lot of cases where there's thousands of pages of medical evidence, numerous medical opinions saying you can't work, and then the judge decides to find that person not disabled. Was it because of racism or some other form of discrimination, 
I can't really say, of course, in each individual circumstance, but I think overall that's not what's happening so much as the social generally being told deny more claims, deny more claims. And so it might feel like in your individual circumstance with your individual case that this is some sort of discriminatory situation, but um, I really think the Social Security judges are treating everyone equally and that they are equally looking at all of these claimants with really good evidence, with medical opinion saying they're not disabled, and denying those claims, regardless of race, color, creed, gender, gender identity, religion, every other protected class. So, I mean, I guess it's good that there's not discrimination based on protected classes, but of course, what's not so good about that answer is that um, people from all walks of life are having their claims denied by Social Security judges. Um, and, uh, and that's really unfortunate because, you know, no one applies for Social Security disability benefits to scam the system. I have a whole chapter in my book about how, like, that's just not a thing. Fraud, waste, and abuse, that's just not happening. You need too much evidence to file a Social Security disability claim. So I truly believe that everyone who applies for these benefits truly believes they are disabled, unable to work, and entitled to these benefits. So I think it's really a shame that Social Security judges are denying as many benefits as they are but if it's any consolation, I think it's not happening based on uh, anyone's status as a member of uh, what the Supreme Court considers to be a protected class. Well, one thing I've said right along, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, the disabled, the people with disabilities are the most discriminated minority in the world. So, yeah, yeah then, it seems like age and disability are two places where, for some reason, it's still societally acceptable to discriminate against people, right? Exactly, exactly. Now, I have one more question uh, along along the lines of the... Uh, well, I just want to say before the last question, but that shouldn't be the case. Of course, Gender discrimination and discrimination against people who are disabled, that should not be a thing. It should not happen. We've had the Americans with Disabilities Act for over 30 years now. Everyone should be treated equally regardless of age and regardless of, you know, whatever kind of physical or mental difficulty you have. All I'm saying is that realistically we kind of know that's not, that's not the case, is it? No, not at all. But along with the, the gender and everything, do you consider, now this is, I, I want your personal opinion, not, not Social Security. Do you consider transgenderism a disability or, or not a disability? Well, I'll give you both answers. I'll give you my personal opinion, and mm -hmm. then I'll tell you actually how Social Security views the situation. That's, all right, that's what I wanted, Social Security. Yeah, so my personal opinion is, is no. Uh, I think if my gender identity as a cis male, as a you know, heterosexual male, 
if, if my identity is not a disability, then someone else identifying in a different way is not a disability. Thank you. Different people have different, you know, identify in different ways, and I don't think it's a disability. But I will say this, and, and again, this, this, what I'm about to say now is not my personal opinion, but it's what I've seen in Social Security cases, and really more what I've seen in medical records. So there's, there's a, a publication called the DISM, the DSM. Um, I forget what it stands for. I think it's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. It's how mental health uh, psychiatrists and psychologists around the United States evaluate mental health impairments. Um, and I don't know if this is still in there, but in the, in the DISM 5, when I was working for Social Security, I would see that in, in that guidance, there was a condition called gender dysphoria. Right. And so I would see medical records where mental health professionals were diagnosing people with this specific mental health diagnosis. And then once it's a diagnosis, it's in your medical records. Then, of course, when the judge sees that in your Social Security claim, They'll say, okay, you have this medical diagnosis called gender dysphoria, and then they consider that to be an impairment, and then they evaluate whether that impairment impacts your ability to work. I'll give the judges a lot of credit. Even the judges who, uh, I'll just say, judges of all political beliefs and all political persuasions, I never saw a judge say a single time, that gender dysphoria impacts someone's ability to work. Now, there may be other impairments, depression, anxiety, PTSD. Uh, there may be other impairments that are separately recognized by the DSM that impact a person's ability to work. And, and the judge may find that if you can't do any full-time work because of that impairment, then you qualify for Social Security disability benefits. But gender dysphoria in and of itself, I never once saw a judge say that label causes someone to be unable to work. And actually, I think that's important, and I think that's actually a good thing, because should that impairment even still exist? And maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But at that point, you know, even two years ago, should that have been in there? We're essentially saying that, because you identify differently from me, I'm putting a medical label and I'm calling it a mental health impairment. Well, if I identify in a certain way and it's not a mental health impairment, why is this other person identifying differently from me? Why is that a mental health impairment? That doesn't make sense to me. No. So the judges, you know, they would have to acknowledge it in the decision because it's in the person's medical records. But what they would say is, look, I see this diagnosis in the medical records. That's not keeping a person from working. And so I think that's a good thing. I don't even think it should be a medical diagnosis. But full disclosure, I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. So it's really up to that community, right, people who are trained in mental health. Mm -hmm. It's, it's up I, to that community to decide what's in the DSM and what is an impairment. But, but I don't think it should be in there. I shouldn't have asked personal. I sh I, what I meant to ask is, uh, so in Social Security, is it considered yeah. an, impa uh, an impairment? Is it considered uh, uh, a, yeah. a disability? 
it is considered an impairment only because Social Security takes guidance from the medical community, right? So for the purpose of deciding mental health impairments, Social Security, they go, look, we're, we're the government and we're lawyers, we're not doctors. So they take the guidance from the DSM, which is developed by psychiatrists and psychologists nationwide, and they use that guidance. So if the DSM says these are how we psychologists and psychiatrists qualify, uh, classify mental health impairments, Social Security says good enough for you, good enough for us. We'll, we'll trust the medical experts in how we classify mental health impairments. But then the next step that the judge asks is, I see you have this diagnosis, does it prevent you from working? And that's really where the judge comes into play, right? Where the Social Security judge, who's an expert in Social Security regulations, I get a mental health analysis from the psychiatrists and psychologists, I get a vocational analysis from a jobs expert, and then I, the judge, take all that information and I decide whether or not you qualify under the law. Right. So it's only an impairment to the extent that the DSM considers it to be an impairment. Yeah, the only reason I ask is that it's so forefront in the news right now. I just wanted to see where it stood with the with the government. That's all. But anyway, yeah, and, and and the government the government says you know it all depends on what what the medical community says, which I think is the right way to do it because. The medical community, they're the ones trained to say this is a mental health impairment or it's not. And those things change over time, right? What maybe used to be considered a mental health impairment 50 years ago maybe isn't today. Um, so I actually I honestly don't know if gender dysphoria is still in the DSM or not, but I will say it's almost never going to be a situation where that's an impairment that will result in the inability to work, right? Because Members of the transgender community work every day all right. around the United States. Exactly. So that's, that's not going to be why you're found disabled. It might be an impairment in your decision, but it's not going to be the impairment that causes you to be found disabled. All right. That's fair enough. All right. Now, let's get to the front part of all of this. We have to pick two people who are going to receive free copies of your audio book. Yes. Uh, that, that, I've been waiting for this the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So, so who do I you... Love to, yeah, I love the question from Anna about... Um, what, the subtitle of my book is Why It's So Hard to Access Benefits and What You Can Do About It, right? And I think it was Anna's question that was like, why do people keep getting denied? And really, that's what the book is about, right? It's about here's all the reasons you might keep getting denied. And what you can do about it, and maybe how you can turn turn that frown upside down, turn that denial into an approval. So now, so I, I definitely think we should be giving Anna an audiobook. So Anna can listen to you explain whether or not it's the squeaky wheel who gets the grease, or just a numbers game. So we're going to send yeah. we're going to send Anna a code so that she can pick up her free copy of. Your book, Social Security Disability Revealed, and she'll be able to listen to your book as many times as she wants. It's her copy. It's her free copy of your book. So Anna from Hackensack, New Jersey, is going to get a free copy of your book. 
your audio That's book. fantastic. So, and maybe she can start a book club with Michael, and they can talk about it together. Because I love Michael's question about representation, because I, I think he said several people had that question, right? Right, exactly. It's a question that so many people have. It's like, do I really need a lawyer? What's this going to cost me? And, and I think that I think that's logical in the United States because we're such a litigious society. I think the first question people have is when they get into a legal process is like, oh, do I need a lawyer? How do I find a lawyer? What's that going to cost me? What's this process like? It's like I I, I just you, your your brain wants to go into fight or flight mode, but then when you learn about like actually you get to pick your own lawyer, you don't have to pay anything up front. You can find someone in your local community. They're going to advocate on your behalf. They'll help you get medical records. They'll go with you to your hearing. It starts to like, I think it almost starts to present this like calmness, right? Like, wait, I can hire a lawyer. It won't cost me anything. I'll pay them later and only if I win. And they'll, you know, I'll have a legal expert in my corner to, to help me with all of these aspects of the, of the social security program that I don't know about, that's amazing. So Michael from Chicago, Illinois, is going to get his free copy of your book, The Social Security Disability Revealed. He's going to get your, his, your, his free copy of your audio book that he can listen to. And him and Anna can get together and start a book club. Yeah, I, and all the questions are great, right? I really enjoyed all of these questions because, look, if you had this question, probably, like, hundreds of other people do too, right? So I really appreciate all of the questions and everyone who took the time to, to send those questions to Jimmy so he could answer to them on this show. Um, but, you know, Jimmy said at the beginning we could only pick two winners. So That's right. we picked two winners, but this book is is – is you know a very reasonable price for everyone who didn't win and also you're welcome to go get it from your local library and if your library doesn't have it i've got information on my website bishinspublishing.com that's b-i-s-h-i-n-s publishing.com and if you and did, there's a, a the, thing that says like click here and go get this information and take it to your library and they'll get the book for you so you can get it for free there and spencer's information is going to be in the show notes for the for this episode so don't worry about it. if you didn't get it just now. You'll be able to pick it up in the show notes and click on it. It's going to bring you right to his website. and You'll be able to yeah. get everything I, right I, there. I think it's a great resource to have on your bookshelf or, you know, in, in your electronic device. So if, if you can get the book, obviously I think that's the best way to do it. But I don't want money to be a barrier to get this information. And so that's why I put the information on the website with, with the ISBN and everything that the library is going to ask for. So that if money is a barrier, it shouldn't be. Go to my website, get that information, walk into your library and say, I want you to get this. I want it in paperback. I want it in ebook. I want it in audiobook. Your library should be able to get it in all three formats. And then, you know, you might have to wait a little bit, of course, for it to come in, but then you can listen to it and other people in your community can as well. Or read it or flip through it. And if you want, if you're the type of person that likes to read, this is a very easy read. Trust me. I did it. You can do it. 
Well, Spencer, I want to thank you for being with us today. This has been a it's been a delight, actually. And every time every time we get together, I find out more information. And I wish I would have met you b- before I went through the process. It would have been a lot easier. But I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this information with our listeners. So, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, and I think we got some great questions. I think- and uh, hopefully, people find the resources they need, and hopefully, they can you know have a little bit more confidence, feel like they're 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 educated, they know what's going on maybe feel a little bit less stressed with this system, and hopefully it helps some of your listeners and their family members to uh, have better outcomes with their Social Security claims. So what's the next book coming out? Yeah, people ask me about that. But, you know, I worked for Social Security for 11 years. I spent so long doing one thing, and I wanted to put it all in one book, right? I didn't want to be like, here's only some of what I learned at Social Security, uh, you know, you have to wait two years for, for more information. Now, I wanted it all in one book. I wanted it to be a one-stop shop. So maybe at some point I'll write another book about something else. But this is, you know, this is the one thing that I did for over a decade. And I'm very proud of this book. Um, yeah, well, you should be. You should be. But and, you know, may, maybe if I spend a decade doing something else, uh, nine, ten years from now, I'll write another book. But for now, it's just the one. i write a novel. Write a novel. I don't know. Come up with some kind of fantasy novel. I've got some ideas because I did work for the government, right? And I've got some ideas about, you know, where I could talk about working for the government generally or government programs more broadly beyond just Social Security. But a lot of that's still in the planning phase. I look forward to something else coming out from you. I know you have another book in you. I want to thank you. And we'll talk again. I know we'll talk again. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care, Spencer. I want to thank Spencer Bishens for being with us today. And I want to remind you, check out his book, Social Security Disability Revealed. You won't be sorry. And check out his website. All his information is in the show notes for this episode. It's chock full of information, my friends. And I want to remind you, we've got another guest coming up on the next episode of An Apple a Day. You're not going to want to miss it. And check this out, my friends. No one ever went blind by looking at things from the bright side. So give it a shot. You got nothing to lose. Hey, you've been listening to an apple a day. My name is Jimmy Apple, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Have a great one today, my friends. Thanks for listening to an apple a day with Jimmy Apple, your gateway to a happy, healthy life. Join our community at www.famousapple.com. See you next time.